15th podcast in my series dealing with common questions and controversies of Christianity. It would be virtually impossible to give an accurate description of the modern evangelical church without mentioning the invitation system that we call altar calls. And that's going to be our topic for today. Altar calls aren't rare. In fact, they're common in most evangelical churches. They're typically employed immediately after the sermon and then a final song. During that time, the preacher calls men and women to walk down in front of the auditorium or what we would call the altar. And it's there that they make a public decision to accept Christ as their Savior. So the way it works is that salvation is offered to all who make the choice to go up front and take it. Now, are altar calls dangerous? Absolutely they are. And the reason is because they make the action an essential part of salvation. No one would say it, but that's the way people believe people come to faith. So the question is, should we be using altar calls to give the gospel? Are they acceptable in the form of witnessing? Now, before we get started, we have to make an important distinction between altar calls and invitations. And there's a very big difference. Invitations are found in the Bible and altar calls aren't. But the Bible is full of invitations. For example, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In John seven thirty seven, he challenged his audience by saying, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And in Mark ten twenty one, he invited those who were listening to come and take up their cross. In Acts two forty. Peter's invitation was straight to the point. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. And again, no mention of altar calls. Paul described the evangelist task in 2 Corinthians 5.20 when he said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The begging in this verse was the invitation to come to Christ. The apostles never hesitated to hold out Christ as Savior, and they gave the gospel with fervent energy, inviting all to come to Christ in saving faith. As ambassadors to Christ, then, we should also be exhorting and urging and pleading with people to repent and turn to Jesus. Now, the way the apostles gave the gospel, we have to understand, included not only an invitation, but a very, very strong appeal. And it's our responsibility and privilege to speak to our loved ones and our friends, urging them to accept Christ as their Savior. We must be firm and straightforward that they must trust Christ or they're going to perish. So there should be this pressing urgency to invitations. Paul gave an appeal in 2 Corinthians 5.11 when he said, We persuade men. And then he made an appeal to the heart and the emotions, knowing the terror of the Lord. He also made an appeal to the conscience when he said, We are made manifest also in your consciences. So we know that the apostles gave invitations, and those invitations were strong and urgent appeals to listen to the good news. I think we can say that any gospel message that doesn't earnestly entreat people to surrender and come to Christ really isn't a legitimate gospel offer. So all that we can say about invitations. However, the Bible says nothing about the use of altar calls. Unlike invitation, altar calls beckon responders to physically move from one point to another in order to lay hold of Christ. Now, neither Jesus nor his disciples ever instructed anyone that in order to be saved, they had to do anything except to turn to Christ and believe in him. They were exhorted to go to Christ and nowhere else. 
Now, there's something that we should always ask ourselves is whether or not a particular idea was practiced in the past. If something's new, then something's wrong. It always shocks people to know that the use of the modern altar call is really a fairly recent practice. Although it's widespread, it's a relatively new phenomenon in the Christian church. For nearly 19 centuries, no one had ever heard of the practice. Such well-known evangelists as George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley never heard of an altar call. Kind of surprising, isn't it? We also know from history that there were no altar calls in the First Great Awakening. It's interesting, Charles Spurgeon was totally against them. He was an extremely passionate winner of souls and well acquainted with the practice, but he firmly refused to adopt it. And he did more than reject it. He was one of its greatest critics. He refused to direct anyone to an altar or to the front of the building. Instead, he directed them only to Christ. He would often say, go to your God at once, even where you are now. Cast yourself on Christ now at once. His practice was biblical. He never allowed anything to confuse the direction in which the sinner should turn. Friends, listen, we must direct our hearer's attention to Christ and Christ alone. So where did the altar call originate? Well, it first came into popularity by the influence of a man named Charles Finney. You might have heard of him in history. He was considered by most to be the pioneer of modern evangelistic methods. In his crusades, he would reserve a number of seats at the front of the church. They were left empty for those who, after the sermon and after the song, would respond to the challenge to come to the Lord's side. It was called the anxious seat. And the reason it got that name was because those seats were reserved for those who became anxious for their souls. And if they came forward, they were counseled and prayed for. The following quote from Finney's lectures on revival explains what he believed. This is what he believed, quote, preach to him. And at the moment he thinks he is willing to do something, bring him to the test, call on him to do one thing, to make one step that shall identify him with the people of God. If you say to him, there is the anxious seat, come out and avow your determination to be on the Lord's side. And if he's not willing to do a small thing as that, then he's not willing to do anything for Christ, end quote. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you catch the heresy? Did you hear the demand for works? Are we to call unbelievers to do one thing in order to receive Christ? Are we to ask them to make one step to enter the kingdom of heaven? Are we to demand that unbelievers do something that determines their will to be saved? You see, there are no demands such as that in the Bible at all. That's not the way Jesus or his disciples or the prophets ever gave their offer of the kingdom. In fact, in John 6, he gave an invitation that was more like an anti-altar call. Instead of calling the multitudes to the front, he told them that they couldn't come to him unless it had been granted to them from the Father. That means unless the Father draws people, they won't find Jesus at the front. And guess what happened? Many of them withdrew and no longer walked with him. And then in 67, he said to his disciples, do you want to go away also? You see, Jesus had no interest in employing any kind of pragmatic or manipulative technique. Friends, keep in mind that the power of the gospel doesn't depend on our methods or our techniques. Altar calls don't help to close the deal. Take Pentecost in Acts 2, for example. Peter only called people to repent and believe. He didn't tell them to take a first step to prove their sincerity. 
Now listen to what I'm about to say because it's extremely important. As evangelists, we don't have to use motivational techniques to improve the attractiveness of the gospel. Let me say that again. As evangelists, we don't have to use motivational techniques to improve the attractiveness of the gospel. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He's the one who convicts unbelievers to come to Christ. So am I making a bigger deal of this than I should? I don't think so. Not only are altar calls not necessary, they're also dangerous. And why is that? Because they deny and distort the fundamental truths of the gospel. There are at least six problems with using altar calls to bring sinners to repentant faith. First of all, altar calls confuse the meaning of faith. We're to turn to Christ for refuge and to receive him by faith, not by demonstrating our commitment by walking down front. Now, some might ask, well, what about those who've been saved as a result of an altar call? Well, doesn't that question prove the problem? Again, altar calls are so common and people trust them so much that they assign them as the cause of conversion. And that's very tragic. In Romans 1.16, Paul states, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he also affirms that the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it, that is the word, is the power of God. And according to 1 Corinthians 1.21, it is the foolishness of the message preached that saves people who believe. It's not the foolishness of an altar call. All its power is from God, and the gospel saves, not walking down front. Secondly, altar calls confuse the scriptural requirement for public professions. It is true that scripture plainly requires that there be a public profession of faith. Jesus told his hearers in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, that whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also deny before the Father who is in heaven. These are extremely important words, and they speak well to a glaring weakness in the contemporary Christian church. Far too many believe that they can enter heaven without any fruit in their lives. There are demands if faith produces no works, then it's not saving faith. True saving faith is certainly a pledge of allegiance to Christ, but that pledge isn't demanded by an altar call. It's demonstrated by water baptism and then a life of commitment to God's word. There's a very important distinction between an altar call and water baptism. The altar call demands obedience before salvation is received. Water baptism, on the other hand, is a profession of salvation that's already occurred. Scripture demands obedience after salvation, not before the new birth has taken place. Otherwise, it's according to Isaiah 64, 6, a filthy rag. There's a third concern with altar calls, and that's that they confuse the role of the preacher. The preacher's duty is, is not to take people to move them to take a first step toward Christ but to proclaim the good news and exhort men and women to turn to Christ. We preach, and God uses his word to draw people and to believe and repent. And that's all. And you know what? That's enough. God is able to do everything else. Fourthly, altar calls confuse the profession of faith with genuine saving faith. The kingdom of God isn't entered into some sort of humanly derived formula. Even if the formula is reciting of a prayer, that isn't saving faith. 
And you know what? That's dangerous too when people just recite the words from someone else. People confess things all the time, especially in public, when they don't fully grasp the significance or truly believe what they say they believe. Studies have shown that where public professions are made, there's a corresponding increase in an abandonment of their so-called faith. So the danger is then to believe that mere professions of faith are genuine confessions of true saving faith is a tragedy. I find it interesting that people believe that the number who walk an aisle are the exact same number who truly get saved. And I think that's um, very, very misleading. Keep in mind that many responded to the Lord and even followed him around who never gave their life to him. So we can't confuse visible, physical signs of interest with true saving faith. Fifth, altar calls create false assurance. This is a biggie, friends. We have to admit that the modern altar call has become kind of a new sacrament. We all know people who have believed that they were Christians because they were baptized as infants, right? Well, the same is true with countless people who've walked an aisle or come forward or repeated a prayer. So altar calls have kind of become a badge with which people pen on their chest instead of a transformed life. That brings us to our sixth problem with altar calls, and that's that they assume a false view of human ability. This question is crucial because it conveys one's belief about human depravity. It begs the question, can man achieve his own salvation or take a step toward that salvation prior to God awakening his heart? And to say yes conveys the idea that man can do something in order to gain favor with God. Although it's subtle, it suggests some form of work. Romans 8, 7 and 8 tells us that because the mind is set on the flesh, it's hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Isaiah 64, 7 is a very important verse. It says, There is no one who calls on the name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. So according to Isaiah, then, man can arouse himself to go down front to receive Christ. Why is that? For two reasons. God has hidden himself, and because of sin, it's too powerful in his life to overcome. The concept, then, of coming forward to receive salvation, it, it, it's a claim that makes man capable of doing something that he's not capable of doing. Any effort prior to the drawing and regenerating work of God places the emphasis on man's ability to affect his own conversion, and that puts it into the category of works. If one is saved during an altar call, it's not because they walked down an aisle or they walked up front. It was clearly the grace of God that opened the heart at that moment. I want to make one last point. It's important to observe that the practice of altar calls wasn't born in the apostolic church. They weren't found in the ministry of Jesus or his apostles or even the prophets. We see Jesus and his apostles inviting men and women to Christ to be saved, but never by a means of a particular method. They always gave invitations, but not one time did they ever give what we would consider an altar call. So here's the question we have to answer. If Jesus or his apostles, nor any of the other prophets ever used altar calls, why should we? Not only are they not necessary, they're also dangerous because they draw the glory away from God's means, which is his sovereignty 
his word, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's all about him. Well, that concludes this podcast, and I hope it was able to bring some clarity to such a sensitive subject. In my next podcast, we're going to be answering the question, why Christians suffer? That's a topic that many of us don't really understand, but it's crucial that we do. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Until then, may you learn Christ, love Christ, and may you live for the glory of Christ. We trust that you have been blessed by listening to this week's episode of Touchpoints, a weekly podcast produced by East Point Bible Church in Peru, Indiana. To learn more about East Point, we would love to connect with you by reaching out via our website at ebcperu.org. That's ebcperu.org. Thank you.